Good morning. This is Karen with NewClevelandRadio.net, and it is time for Avoid the Maze. And if you've never listened to Avoid the Maze before, well, let me just tell you, we have different guests all the time. Sometimes they even come back for a second or third uh, conversation. And our conversation is all about our journey in life. And today's journey is quite interesting to me because if you've ever heard of the word bulimic, um, you usually have this image of a very young, unsatisfied teenage girl, although I know there are males who are bulimic as well, but our vision is this teenage girl who just is not real happy with something going on, loves to eat, so binges, but then is so afraid to gain weight from everything that she or he has eaten. Um, they find ways to get it out. And a lot of times that is just vomiting it out. And we know from studies, um, that is the most harmful way to lose weight. So today um, I have on Lori Ann, who does, and her dog is in the background and that's fine. You know, it's a conversation, Lori Ann. Um, Lori Ann, um, I met her on, Podmatch. And those of you who are doing podcasts, I'm going to recommend you go check out Podmatch because I have met some of the most incredible people that I don't think I ever would have met anywhere else. And so I'm going to introduce them to you. And the first person is Lorianne, who has information about bulimia that I would not have expected. So Tell us a little bit about who you are and um, why this subject matter. Okay, so I am Lori Ann, and uh, I live in Ontario, Canada right now. I moved 26 times, and so uh, where does all that start? I was bulimic for 30 years. I started when I was 17, and at the age of 47 is when it stopped. And I do apologize for my dogs. So we have a plumber here today. Yes, that's <laughs> it's <been fine>. um, <laughs> so uh, just give me one quick second. Sorry. It's okay. So for our listeners, we do live. We do not edit. Um, and uh, Lorianne's dog is part of her life. And I'm sure she will tell us a little bit more about um, the barking rascal in the background. So here she comes back and so big apologies. Well, that's right, okay. Can you tell us the dog's name? Because I know our listeners want to know. I have two. I've got uh, Bing Bing and Rolly. Okay. And Bing Bing's the barker. She's a Jack Russell Shih Tzu uh, beagle mix. And then my other one is a Jack Russell Shih Tzu. So. Okay. All yeah. right. All right. We've contained the noise. Sorry about that's, that. That's okay. So bulimia, yeah, uh, in regards to that. So I was bulimic for 30 years. Uh, I did, I, I was, I had three children, never bulimic while I was pregnant. For some reason, there was an amazing amount of need to protect something living inside of me. Yet what's funny is after I birthed them, except for between my daughter and my youngest son, I actually wasn't bulimic for two years. But it's interesting fact that I was more concerned about the baby, but then when the baby was born, I wasn't concerned about myself as much. 
Got it. Okay. And that happens. Yes. And uh, to midlife bulimia, a lot of them are like me. They started at a young age and they're still struggling with it in their 40s, their 50s and 60s. But the shamefulness of it means that they hide from it because people will say, really? Like after all these years, you're still doing it? What's wrong with you? Um, and it's not that simple. And then the other ones that are starting up are in their 40s where they're going through uh, menopause. And I call it, somebody said, well, I never heard that before, but like a reverse puberty. Your body's changing. Your hormones are changing. Just like when you're going through puberty in your teens, you're now doing this again in your 40s. And then there's also that societal pressure that, you know, wow, you're getting older, you're getting wrinkled, you, you know, you have to be fit, you've got to look like, oh my goodness, like I, you look at, I said to my parents, I said, Jennifer Aniston is only three years younger than me, and she looks like she's 20 years younger than me, it's like, you know, uh, I don't care to keep up with the Joneses, uh, some women do, but some women are like that, and they feel pressured, and then they've also moved into the eating disorder at a later age in life, which is uh, which is interesting. And I learned more about that. I knew about the ones that struggled through it for years, but then I learned about the fact that there are women in their forties now because of the menopause that are moving into it as well. So in your teens, when, and I'm sure it didn't develop overnight, it probably was something that you started doing and all of a sudden it just became natural for you. Um, did your family have any idea or were you a good hider? Uh, yes and no to that question. I, when I was 17, I moved, my parents moved me uh, from a place I was very comfortable with, busy in sports and everything. When I was 16 to a place where the high school didn't have sports. And so I basically went home, watched TV and ate peanut butter and crackers and started binging. That's where my binging started. My dieting itself started about a month before we moved because I was going through, uh, my sister was getting married and she said that I had to lose 10 pounds. I was 130 pounds at five, nine, I was not overweight, but due to the charts back then it was showing I was 10 pounds overweight, which is nuts. So that's where the dieting thing started. Then getting into that zone. And yeah, so I gained weight. I went from 130 to 170 and I started thinking, wow, you know, my mother, my sister was losing weight. My mother was sitting there going, you're the only one who's overweight in the family, including me, this thing, a little thing she didn't mean to be mean about, but right. I took it personally. And that's when I met a friend and she said, uh, you can have your cake and eat it too. Ooh. And she told me how she did it. Cause I heard that she had lost a lot of weight. And I said, how did you do it? She was honest with me. And then I tried it. Uh, within the first month, my mother caught me. I think actually it was my sister who caught me, then told my mom, the snitch. And, <laughs> and then I then I learned that you have to really be careful. You have to hide it and all of that. And so then I became, yes, very much of a good hider, said I'm over it. Uh, my friends and I sort of chatted about it because we we're all dieting at the time because it was the craze. And uh, then they were starting to say, you know, it's not good for you. So then I hid it from them too. So then it became, I'm okay, I'm over it, but I wasn't. So when your sister caught you um, and then, you know, mom got upset with you, um, what did they, what did they think they could offer you to get you to stop this? At that time, nothing. 
it was fear. It was, um, my sister really didn't get involved my, my mother. She told my mother to try it because my mother is the parent. Right. And, uh, in that time, you know, this was in the early 1980s. So my mother didn't have anything to go by. So for her, it was like, oh, this is just a diet just stop it right this is stupid all you want like you there's other ways of getting thin yes but it became something more than just a diet now it became something i went to when i was stressed going through university when your exams you don't want to do the, the test you don't want to do anything so while you're doing it you're eating because there's a satisfaction and then yes the purging is almost that it became almost ritualistic um, in purging your failures, in purging your anger, in purging, and it became a ritual. And I couldn't stand it, and yet I couldn't stop it. Like it got to the point where I hated what I was doing, but I couldn't stop. And it is a habit, as we know. Um, and for people who are listening, they say, well, you know, anybody can stop. And the, the reality of it is, there are some habits, maybe they can be stopped, but they're not easy to stop. Um, you have to totally change your mindset, which is what I'm hearing you say, that um, you know, part of it was, well, if I put all this in me, I'm satisfying something, but now I know that was a bad thing, so I'm gonna purge it out, and now I'm gonna be okay again because I got rid of it, now that I got rid of it, I need it again, and we keep doing it. And it's no different than any other type of addiction. However, purging it had to have been killing your stomach, your throat, um, and prop your teeth. I didn't even think about that. Okay. So if you knew that it was hurting those things, did that give you any impetus to say, okay, I'm going to try to stop? You know, not really. The thing is, even I remember my one psychiatrist, I think probably I had a counselor that was wonderful, but then I got married and I moved away. So I didn't have her anymore. And she was making, I was making forward steps. I was 24 at the time. Uh, and then when I left her, then I sort of fell back again. Then I went when I was um, in Reno, I went to see a psychiatrist. And he said to me, he says, you know, it's a slow form of suicide. And I thought, yeah, it is. And he said, not to give it any importance, but in a sense, um, it's probably saved your life. Because there's the other option um, that a quick suicide versus a slow suicide. So I found that interesting. It's not right. And he was basically saying, this is suicide. So you want to get over it. Um, but he said, it's a slow form. Yeah. Interesting. Cause I, you know, for those of us on the outside who've never experienced it, um, we've seen movies, we may have had friends, may have had family members, um, we think of it a lot of times as um, it's part of our vanity, as you brought up before, you know, TV, friends are always telling us um, 
You should wear your hair this way because we'll make you look younger. Um, you should wear this color because we'll make you look prettier. Um, and I remember my mother giving me that advice when I was growing up. Um, and I always took it very negatively. If my mother told me to wear orange, I would wear blue. And if my mother told me to wear blue, I would wear red because that was the only way that I could fight my inner demons. Okay. Um, and then I woke up one morning and I said, why am I doing this? You know, like, you know, she's right. You know, I can wear orange or I can wear that color. But if we're told by other people the way we're supposed to look, and then when we look in the mirror and we don't see that image, we'll reach for just about anything that might help us create that. So you mentioned that this was in your teens, you got to be in your 20s, you got married. Um, what did your husband think about all this? Now, that's an interesting part of it too. Uh, he is now my ex, but <laughs> I, I was very clear with him before we got married because I already had a boyfriend that broke up with me when he found out I was bulimic. And so I said, I want you to know out right front, I am bulimic. So you can cancel anything, the engagement, whatever. We can stop it right now. He said, no. He says, I know about it. Your sister told me. <laughs> Another sister. <laughs> um, but he was accepting of it, which I thought was very kind. And he loved me anyway. The sad portion is, though, is that, and, and not to put this on him, my, um, my relationship with him was a trigger for my bulimia. And my counselor that I had before I got married warned me about that. She says, he may not be the best person to marry, but I was so in love with him. I was like, I don't care. I see the red flags, but I'm going to, you know, ignore them. Sure. Um, and then, you know, I asked him, can you please come with me for, you know, to my psychiatrist to, so we can talk so we can make it like a partner. Let's help each, you know, help me. Sure. And he didn't want to do that. It was like my battle on my own. He was, I guess, supportive in the sense that he accepted me, but that's not supporting. It, yeah. it, you want to help somebody to try and get over it, to try and learn about it, to say, hey, how can I make it so that you're not going to do this anymore? And instead he would say things like, you know, you're very selfish. You're hurting yourself and, and you're going to hurt your kids and me if anything happens to you. Yes, but that's not how you deal with me. Right. Yes. Right. So in that, I think, is an important message for our listeners. Um, people can say they support you. And I don't care what the issue is. Um, but if they're not willing to get involved, it's not a true support. Um about 10 years ago, I went through a very deep depression. And, um, you know, at first I, you know, I didn't want anybody else to go through it with me. I was going to do it myself. And I, and I started that way. And then I realized it's not going to work a hundred percent. I have to pull in the people who are saying they support me through it, but had no idea what it even meant to me. And your, your therapist was great in telling you that. My therapist was not, but I brought these people into my therapy and 
I admitted there are days I do not know why I think and do the things I do, but sometimes they have to be pointed out to me, but not pointed out because I'm a bad girl, pointed out because I can be better than this. And so I have a feeling in some ways, yes, your husband at the time meant well, but didn't have the skills. And you know what? He saw what you were going through. He didn't want to go through it. Yeah. And we can't make people take that journey with us. I just, I guess though, when you talk about a marriage, I, my vision of a marriage was somebody who stands by you and even come and talk to the therapist the therapist can probably tell you, give you some advice on what you can do to help me out like that. And I reached out to him to be, it wasn't like, you know, there's some people are bulimic and people will try and reach out and they're going, go away, go away. I don't want you. I don't want you because uh, this is my thing to fight with. I literally asked him to be involved. Right. Right. And so that was where I was sad that he, uh, he didn't, uh, like I said, I thought that, you know, your husband, your best friend would be there. I know that there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's been clients of mine and their spouse, they're there and they're supportive and they try their best. And some of them say, well, there's really nothing he's doing that's right anyway, because there's really no right way. Um, but at least they're trying. That's the thing. So you've mentioned a couple of times your clients, and I find this amazing that you took this journey, this long suicide route, to change your life um, and help others. So what made you think you could do that? I always wanted to, from the time I was in my 30s, always, since I've been in my 30s, uh, (laughs) I've been wanting to, but I promised myself that you're going to wait until your 10 years recovered to be able to say your 10 years recovery, because I'm sorry, I can't really help somebody saying, yeah, I'm two years in recovery, but you know, I want to be sure that I never want to go back. And although two years into it, I knew I just wanted to be super sure. But my dream even back then was to, you know, get a couple of acres of land, have these little tiny homes on it and get women who are struggling with it that are in their midlife, get them away from everything for two weeks and start the journey. To recovery. Uh, that is still my dream. I plan on making it happen. And uh, it's, I think it's important when I even hear, even in my groups, they're not my clients, but they're my groups and they're going, I've been struggling this long and I haven't found like most of the groups that they were in, there were like you said, 18, 19, 20 college students, and they right. couldn't relate to this long-term. Uh, even I'm, you know, I look at Jane Fonda, she struggled with bulimia for 30 years. I wish she would have been more of an advocate and speaking out to it back then. Uh, I know she did speak a bit to it, but I think there could have been a bigger voice to it. But today it's even more, it's more common even today, because in the 80s was when it really started to, you know, go out of proportion with this, you know, bulimia and all the eating disorders out there. Well, I think where we all have to start is right at home in the beginning and we have to stop labeling each mm-hmm. other. Um, and I know as a parent myself, I didn't get a handbook that told me 
what to say and what not to say to my boys. And I know my mother didn't have it either. And sometimes we say the wrong things, um, which can damage each other. Um, but I think when we have more conversations like this and people can talk about it and they can put a face to it and say, well, Lorianne is my next door neighbor. Lorianne is my aunt. She's my mother. She's my sister. You know, if it could happen to her, it can happen to me. So it's learning to change that dialogue in the last year and a half. We've been hearing that term for everything in our world. Okay. Um, you know, and if somebody's listening, I don't want them to take this the wrong way, but all of our lives matter. And when we look in the mirror, we have to find at least that one thing that we can zone in on and say, that's what I like about me. Yes. And I'm sure when you were in your teens and your parents had moved you away from everything you loved and liked and wanted to do, all of a sudden that image in the mirror probably didn't show you any of that. No. Yeah, I had lost, basically I felt almost as if I'd lost my identity. You know, I had no, none, none of the friends I were was with for the last five years of my life. And, you know, from 11 to, to 16, that's a big influential time too. Uh, yeah, it, it was really tough. I don't know that that was the cause. Uh, I think that there was part of it with my eating habits had definitely changed. Uh, but like I said, it, it became definitely not just a habit. It became what they call an addiction. But I don't like that term because sometimes you'll say, you know, you can't recover. There's no way you can recover it. Yes, you can. I eat what I want to eat when I want to eat it. I am very conscious of my body, uh, where it likes to be at. And, uh, and I enjoy, oh my goodness, having dinners with my parents and my family and everything in a normal way is the most wonderful feeling. So there is absolute the ability to recover. So I watch that word because sometimes they say, well, addicts will always be addicts and, and that's tough, right? So they, I like they say it's a dis-ease. Right, I bet, I yes. you that, in. <laughs> that would be probably more because it is you're 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 letting go of it puts you out of your comfort zone because it's a go to, and that's what you have to learn is is to feel that discomfort, and the biggest discomfort you feel when you stop being bulimic is dealing with your emotions, because now you're not numbing them, and many of us don't want to deal with those emotions. Um, culturally, um, and this is what comes to mind is that when you move culturally, your emotions were totally different. Um, and back then probably nobody put it in that perspective. Um, I know that, um, in the middle of my senior year, um, we had been living in Minnesota for four years and my father got transferred back to Detroit, Michigan. And it was February of my senior year. And I packed up, left my senior class, went to a brand new high school, um, didn't know a soul, 
even though I had gone to elementary school with a lot of the kids that were actually there, I didn't even know they were in that same high school. Um, and that was very, very difficult because it was a culture shock. And I didn't understand it then. I understand it now. And I understand we should bring the dogs on screen. They belong on screen with you. Um, but I realized that, um, you know, little things like that, it wasn't my parents' fault. It wasn't your parents' fault. It was just part of the obstacles we go through in life. And when it changes things, we need to find the help. That's very true. And you're right too. It's like, I remember people saying, you know, parents, parents, it's controlling parents, it's this, and they blame it on everything. It was the way I was and it was how I reacted to it. And other kids, I mean, I have three sisters, none of them were bulimic. So, you know, that's, that was my response to a situation. And so I can't blame them. Uh, I don't blame myself either. It was just some of it was societal. Some of it was, you know, I can't stand conflict. I don't like to. So, you know, you get upset, you take it on yourself. And that's what the other thing that they say is that's self-sabotaging because you might be angry at somebody out there, but you're going to hurt yourself instead. Right. Absolutely. Nuts. But yeah, uh, super happy where I'm at today, though. Like I said, uh, I have to give accolades to my second oldest sister who while I was staying with her as I lost my business and everything there was a lot going on <laughs> and uh so I was staying with her for a few months while I was getting my feet back on the ground and she said uh I know you're still bulimic and her husband um heard and she said I'm not going to judge you on it I just would love if you weren't anymore because I love you and I need you to be with me something to that term and literally the next day I stopped I'm not saying that it was easy there's not everyone who can stop cold turkey um, I would call her up when I did find my own place and say you know what I feel like having a binge and she and purging and you know I, I always tell this story because I think it's hilarious she goes well she says you know I get it. I understand. And just know that I'm here. You know, you can always call me afterwards. I'm thinking, what, you're letting me do it? No, I'm not going to do it then. Buzz off. Like, and then I, I did love it. That. <laughs> I was like, and I, I'll always remember that. And it was that one moment. And I thought, wow, you know, she was willing to be there no matter what. And I thought, well, no, you're letting me do it. I'm not going to do it then. Because then it's, you know. It's not as much fun. Not as much fun. Yeah, I can't. Not hiding it anymore either. So it's not as much fun. Wouldn't call it that, but you know what? I'm, right. You you understand the yeah. concept of it. Uh, yeah. And that was when I was forty-seven. The other thing too that I realized it was also when I finally cut all ties with my ex-husband um, completely. So like, I mean, there was some support money coming in, and I asked him to just stop that. I needed to cut everything. And when I did that, there was like wow, I'm free. Like I'm free from that one trigger is not there anymore. So you have no reason at all. Not that you did to begin with, but I knew that that was part of my trigger and that was gone. So. Well, and I think we have to clarify something. It's not that um, there wasn't a reason for what you were doing. There was, um, it may, it wasn't a healthy reason. We know that both emotionally and physically, 
but you needed to do in your head, you needed to do something and you weren't hurting anybody else other than if it had taken your life, yes, it would have, but you weren't, you weren't in that mindset to, you know, grasp that at that time, because it really was about those emotions and you needed to feed them and then get rid of them. Um, and some of us do it in other ways. Uh, I was known as the crybaby up until probably my mid thirties. Um, people would look at me if I thought they were looking at me wrong, I would just cry. Um, I could be at work doing something. And if I assumed somebody didn't like what I did, I would just get so emotional and tears would run down my face and people would say, what are you crying about? And I couldn't explain it. It wasn't until I finally sat back and thought, you know, I'm he basically hearing things that aren't really happening. I need to now start listening and not just to my inner voice, but to that outer voice. And it sounds like therapy helped you along the way. Although not all therapy is good therapy. And you, and you mentioned that you needed to be in recovery at least 10 years. So what happened for that 10 year anniversary? Well, I started my coaching practice. <laughs> I did a lot of studying up to there. I took, uh, you know, different like NLP and all this other stuff that it can be worked into it. I, I wrote a program for bulimia recovery. So that was what I was getting myself set up to start my, my uh, bulimia recovery coaching services. And uh, then I, of course, I started my podcast as well to bring awareness and uh, I don't just have bulimics on there. I do have a couple, one recovered, one that was that isn't, which is really interesting, uh, but also a lot of different experts, because like you said, it's not just one person. So I'm a bulimia recovery coach, but when it comes to nutrition, although I know a lot about it, I'm not registered. So I prefer to say, hey, go there. Or there may be somebody who goes, no, I want to deal more with somebody who's got an expertise in emotional eating then so they have those options and that's what the podcast is there is find your options but take take the steps to get help and for those who are listening and saying gosh you know there are thousands of podcasts out there so what makes your podcast better than the next and i think one of the things Lorianne, that i have learned since joining podmatch is that it's not about being better. It's about providing a voice and saying, this is what my journey is. It may be similar to yours. You may be able to follow the same steps I've taken and it will work for you. But most likely you're gonna listen. You're probably gonna argue a little bit, but if you can find that road to keeping yourself healthy and happy. And it's not going to be 24 seven, is it? No, no. And you're going to have your ups and downs. I mean, I went through, it's the other thing too. I had to learn to get through my, I had a severe anxiety a couple of years after I recovered. Um, 
because I didn't know. So I went, I went for help for that too, to learn how to do that. And there's different ways of help too. I've gone through a few different ones, whether it's essential oils or whether it's a therapist or whether there's different ways of doing that. Uh, my podcast isn't better than anyone else's. I love the podcast community and I love Podmatch too. Uh, big, big fan. Alex knows that. <laughs> and Alicia is always sitting there going, come on, you got to join. Uh, and the people are there. The community is fantastic. What I do stand out, though, I think compared to others, there are there's not a lot of podcasts on bulimia. And I believe that I'm probably. Um, I mean, it's not specific to midlife bulimia, but that's my main focus. Sure. You don't really find that out there either. So I would say it's not that I'm better, but I'm a little bit more defined. Um, I do have another podcast as well that we do, and it's just sort of open, and we just have fun doing that one. Uh, but the bulimia one is is my passion in the sense that that's the topic I have a really big heart for. Well, and what I hope the listeners are hearing, it really is about finding that way to communicate because your personal circle and this is one of the things I found out, uh, my personal circle, oh, that's great what you're doing. It's, you know, I'm glad you're getting help with whatever your issue is, um, but I don't see that in you. And I have one girlfriend who I've had in my life for over 40 years. And it's, you know, really you're going through that? You know, you're a blogger, you're a podcaster, you do this, you do that. And I said, and yeah, and that's what helps me get through it. If I wasn't doing all these things, I would probably be sitting in front of my TV doing something that I shouldn't do. And I don't even know what that means, okay? Too much caffeine, drinking liquor, eating, I don't know. But Just binge watching is not I, good. Exactly. Like, you know, I, <laughs> I've done that though. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Well, and you know what? Everyone, I've gone through my binge. <laughs> and every once in a while, we do need that time. Yeah. That, that is a downtime. Um, so what I love about this is that um, your voice is just another one that we can hear, that we can communicate with that we can learn something about because when I first saw that blurb on Podmatch and it said midlife bulimia, I mean, I just like rushed right to you. It was like, what? Um, and I shouldn't have been so surprised. I don't think now that we've been talking because um, there are a lot of individuals who start very young, really do not give it up and they are midlife and still trying to find, um, you know, should I be doing this? Shouldn't I be doing this? You know, who knows about it? Um, and I think the reality of it is once you know about it, that's when you know if change is needed. Yeah, and somebody said what, uh, other than my sister being very kind and supportive, they said, what else made you want to stop? And I say this with all kindness. I said, I, I got tired of looking at my ugly face in the toilet bowl. And I said, I'm not saying that I'm not, I find myself attractive. Okay. I like me. <laughs> I'm going to say that. Absolutely. I mean, I say that for a long time, but that face in that toilet bowl was ugly. 
because of what it was reflecting back at me. So when I say ugly face, I don't mean it in the sense of that I feel ugly. That was ugly to me. And I thought, I don't want to do this anymore. This is, this is nuts. Like, what are you doing? You know, you're, you're smart, you're intelligent, you've got all this ability to do this, that, and the other thing. And my daughter said a very beautiful thing to me because I did, I lost my business. I went down to, I mean, I lived in a barn, no running water for like two years. And my daughter said to me, she goes, you know what? She says, you know, dad's always been successful and you really went down to the bottom of the pit. She says, but you're a role model to me because you got yourself right back up again. So there's different kinds of role models. They're not always the ones that stay successful at the top. Sometimes it's because you drop down and come back up again. And, so. and I'm glad that you used the word success because success is all about living in your best capacity. Um, I had somebody this weekend, and I think I sort of uh, have mentioned it on other podcasts. Monday through Friday, I'm 100% podcasting, blogging. On the weekend, I switch hats and uh, I do IT work. And I had somebody who said to me the other day, boy, look how successful you are. And I thought I saw a dollar sign when they said that. That's what I saw. And I, my first reaction was going to be, I'm not successful. And I said, you know, I am because I can do what I'm doing. And I can manage, but I don't have that big dollar sign. But I'm not doing either of these jobs for the dollar sign. I'm doing it really because I love doing it. And when you can say that at the end of the day, I really love what I'm doing. When you look in the mirror, you find something in that reflection that says, hey, that's what I like. And today it might be your eyes. Tomorrow it might be your hair. It might be your smile. You never know. And I know when I look in the mirror, I don't look for the lines on my face. If they're there, they're there. And if they're not there, hey, more power to me. Here's a cute thing. Speaking of that, we had a gentleman who's, uh, he does facial um can't remember the name of what it is but basically he can he can tell you what you're all about by looking at your face and I said I thought it was bad because I'm, I'm an expert handwriting analyst and I said people don't want to write me notes but nobody wants to get in a room with you yeah he said <laughs> that he a lot of men most men uh prefer women who have wrinkles around the eyes here and around here because it shows that they smiled a lot through life and it's actually an attraction. And I thought, isn't that neat? He says, you can tell when somebody's happy just by the, where the wrinkles are and how they form. Well, and you know, it's interesting that you say that because um, I work with a lot of very young kids on the weekend. And uh, I don't think any of them have seen my face because we, we wear face masks. But they always say to me things like, you were just laughing with your eyes. You were just smiling. And um, they're right, but I, you know, because I can't, I'm not looking at myself. I don't know that. But it made me feel really comfortable that our young people today are seeing things that they wouldn't have seen mm -hmm. if we weren't wearing the face mask. 
because they're looking for recognition. And uh, I came home yesterday and with a big smile on my face. And I said, you know, I was happy at work. And my husband looks at me and he goes, yeah, like, you, what are you telling me? And then when I mentioned it to him and I put the mask back on and he goes, you look tired right now. And which of course I was. And I said, see, but when I took it off, he didn't see the same face. So sometimes we have to disguise a little bit. That's really interesting. I never really yeah. thought of that. Yeah, they're looking at our faces in a different way and they're finding features that otherwise you wouldn't look at. That Absolutely. is very cool. Absolutely. So how can our listeners find your podcast? They can, it's pretty easy to find. It's uh, look up bleep bulimia. That's B-L-E-E-P because I really couldn't use the other word I really wanted to use. <laughs> <laughs> so it's bleep bulimia. Uh, you can also go to bleepbulimia.com. I don't know if the link works beautifully. If it doesn't, then do bleepbulimia.wordpress.com. You'll get there. Um, so those are the two. And do you mind if I just mention quickly, I do have a book too that I wrote. Absolutely. It's, Absolutely. It's Tell us about on, it. It is on my website too. And it is called, I was telling you about that, how to have your cake and eat it all too. This is how to have your cake and not eat it all too. So it's just a short uh, recovery you know, help to help uh, adults recover. Uh, there's stories about my my story and what I went through and the tough time of trying to recover when you have three kids and a mortgage and a busy life. And then, so it seems like life is always too busy to recover. You've got to learn to find the time to recover and stop that. And that was one of my issues was I was a go, 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 took on too much. So I never had the time to really focus on my recovery through those years and it's important to do so. So that's what it discusses. Yes, and if any of your listeners out there are, you know, either have a way that they can help, um, you know, bulimics midlife, particularly if you can recover, that would be great because I know there's different formats. And if you're a recovered bulimic, I'd love to have you on, the, on my show too because uh, I love to feature those people. I had one lady, um, she has never come out public before about her bulimia and she agreed to be on my show. So that was really exciting. So well, it's worthwhile talking about. She said she was worried about how people would perceive her if they found out she had had an eating disorder. I said, you know, what's really funny, honest to goodness, Karen, I never thought about it. It was never in my mind to say, oh, people might look at you now and think this, now that you're coming out and saying you were bulimic. I thought, no, because my purpose is to let you know that I was bulimic and there's other people out there. So it never, you know, like it or lump it, I don't care. It's just something I needed to say. And it never even struck me as, wow, you know, my friends might see me differently now. Maybe they do. I don't know. And if they don't like it, they're really not your friends. And that's one exactly. of the things, you know, you know, even though my mother may have said certain things to me that really, you know, I thought hurt me back in the day. One of the things that she also would say, and I think people from her generation use this a lot, you don't hang your dirty laundry for other people to see. And when I first told her that I was truly going through this depression, she said, Shh, don't, don't tell people. And I said, no, I have to, for a couple of reasons. Number one, I saw it changing me, okay? And I saw I had to make changes and I knew it was going to disrupt certain relationships. 
including my relationship with her, because my mother always said she had never been sick a day in her life. She didn't know what depression was, you know, and I found out a couple years later as um, after she had a stroke and I had time to spend and talk to her, um, she knew what depression was. She had faced it. And in the last two and a half months of her life, she shared it with me. And that's when I knew that I really did the right thing. And I want other people to do it as well. If you come out with whatever that hidden secret is and people walk away, they weren't there for you to begin with. And there will be a whole other community like Lorianne and myself who are going to say, yeah, okay, so you went through it. Okay, so you're going through it. Let's get through it. Let's get to the other side. And that you're not alone. And that's one of the biggest things that I, I really do appreciate our, our generation of social media to certain, there's certain things that are not great about, but what is great about it is being able to find out that you are not alone. Whereas back when in the 1980s, when there was no social media and there were just magazines and there was very little on bulimia, I felt alone. I'm sure you did. Yeah. So. Well, you're no longer alone. And we're going to have to do this again because your story may not be my story, but your story inspires me to say, hey, what else can I do to feel good about myself today? And if we can share that with one listener, wow, it's a beautiful day. Absolutely. Stay warm up in Canada. I know it's going to get cold there soon. Like it's going to get cold here as well. But uh, you know what? It's just part of the changes we'll go through during the seasons. And uh, welcome into my life. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Okay. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Karen. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye-bye now.